like to welcome everybody. Now, now Chris has got me jacked up. He gets jacked up saying good morning. And then when I go to preach, I can't, I can't say it either at this point. I, hello there. <laughs> How am's you is? That's because that's the way we start. Um, before we get started in the message, and we're, you know, we're kind of finishing up a message that we started last Sunday. Uh, <laughs> Friday, whatever it was. Last week. Right? Um, I do want to tell you, so obviously the governor has made an uh, announcement. Uh, and he's laid out a plan to get West Virginia going again. Um, you know, now that we're, it looks like we're on the downside of the COVID. Uh, but as they open up and people get to moving around again, there's always a fear that it's going to spike back up. And I honestly would be surprised if we don't see that to some degree. Um, but because of that, we see that week one, he was opening up, uh, you know, non-essential businesses. And week two, he has on there about open up churches. There was a little bit of a gray area, and the gray area was the gathering size. Originally, he said 25, but then he actually made a clarification statement uh, that the 25 did not apply to churches. Um, so we are free to do that. And listen, we've always been free. I, the way the West Virginia laid it out, uh, the governor was banking on us doing the right thing. That's what he was banking on. He never told us as churches that we couldn't meet, but he was praying that we did the right thing. And the right thing is loving our neighbor, right? Uh, it's, and it's not in any way, um, it's not in any way a diminished faith when we take proper precautions. Um, if you want to hear more about that, you can go to the podcast. I did a podcast about the cleanliness and the, and the quarantine that was actually laid out in Leviticus by God himself. Uh, so if you want to hear more about that, and actually next week I may do something on that just to kind of get our mindset back into gear um, but I want you to be praying because coming back to church isn't going to be like coming back to church like we used to in the sense of, you know, still needing to keep our distancing, uh, because, um, there are people still around us, uh, that have actually tested positive, uh, you know, in our neighborhoods, uh, here in Berkeley County, brother Jimmy Williams, uh, fellow pastor of grace, just what, 10 mile off the road. His daughter uh, tested positive and is going through that sickness right now. We need to keep her in prayer. Her name is Angie. She's in the medical field. Um, and so we need to be praying through this. I'm meeting with some guys tomorrow um, with the, from the other churches just to kind of pray through this and talk through it. I've been attending webinars that were put on by Randall House, also by our nationals. Um, you know, and, and actually, Dr. Ron Hunter did a great job. He involved people like Ed Stetzer and all these. Got some really good folks that are highly involved in, in, in church uh, structure, church building, and all the, this stuff. And, and really, um, what I found out was that Ed Stetzer is a germaphobe, by the way. He says, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing the social distancing and washing my hands, wearing a mask on an airplane if somebody is sick next to me. He said, I've been doing this for a long time. All y'all doing is finally coming up to the, the bar I set, which is kind of, you know, he's a very kind of funny guy. So that um, involves some really good people. And I'm so thankful for leaders um, inside our denomination and outside our denomination that have really kind of helped pastors like us that, you know, really kind of struggle. What does this look like? And what do I need to do? Not, not because I'm scared. But what do I need to do to protect our folks? We have a lot of people in our congregation that are in that uh, age range that is susceptible. Uh, we got folks that are also going through sicknesses. And, you know, and I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that I wasn't worried about my own wife. 
uh, right now uh, keeping up her immune system and all while she's battling uh, this fight. So, uh, you know, it hits me personally, too. But, but this is not just about me and my home. This is about us all caring about one another. So what does that look like? So be praying about that. One of the things that they said is, you know, Christians like to hug, kiss each other on the cheek. Not dudes. I don't do that. But anyway, uh, you know what I mean, right? They greet each other with a holy kiss. I got, I, I'll give you a kiss right in the snooker. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Anyway, that's the side point. Uh, we like to hug and everything. And, and listen, you know what's kind of interesting is even outside of here, it's funny when Chris and I would see each other at work or Brian, you know, I go see Brian, my cousin, and her, we still hug, right? It's just what we do. Uh, people think we're weird, but, you know, it's, uh, it's just a love that we have for one another. And so how do we express that love, right, when we come back to church? Um, I'm going to tell you it's not going to be next week, right? So we're, I'm not trying to rush this thing, and I'm not going to be rushed, by the way. Uh, I love all of y'all. And I know some people are like, hey, so they told us we can get back. When are we going to get back? Listen, cool your jets. When you pastor a church, you can do it your way. I'm praying through this thing. And there's a lot to, you know, we don't think about, what about touching the, what, passing the offering plates? There's so many things that we touch. So I will tell you, we've ordered some hand sanitizer stations and stuff like that. So we're working on it. I, I won't be rushed because somebody wants to get back. Listen, I know that you want to get back. I want to be back here. I want us to. This is... This is what I live for. I mean, this is what Sal and I have staked our lives on here. And we've done a lot over the years that we've had to decide what are we going to put first, ourselves or, you know, or the ministry. And, and we've, we've done that. And so there, there is not anybody more who wants this place to be back full than myself. Right? I can promise you that. Um, but we're not going to rush it. Right? It's going to be before the end of May, but I don't know the exact Sunday. I will let you know. But they did tell us, be thinking about ways that maybe you can have a thing for your church, a way for you to express love to one another that could be your church's thing. Right? Like air high fives, social distance high five, I guess. You know, Chris is way over here. You know, uh, you know I don't know, but so I come up with this. Right? Because how many times, you know, you see somebody and you can't get to them, you're like, man, listen, I love you. Right? So church, I want you to be practicing this right here. This is heritage. This is our way of greeting each other right here. I love you. Right? You want somebody specifically to know that you love them? And you point right at them. You say their name. You're right here. I carry you in my heart. I carry you, church, in my heart. And I love you. And I know that you love me. And you love my family. And we love each other. And so listen, let's just keep carrying each other in our heart. And this is our thing. So y'all be practicing that. So when we get back together, right, if you come on running me to give, you, give me a hug, I'm going to trip you. And I'm going to say, whoa, no, not yet. Right? Listen, this is a way for us to express each other because we do love each other. Right? Practice it. Get ready. We're going to be back in the building real soon. Until then, I want you to grab your Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of Micah. That's where we left off last week. The book of Micah. We're going to look at chapter 6, verse 8 is what we're going to read for our text. Last week, we, the, the, the title of, the, of the, the message last week is, Are You Weary? And this is Are You Weary? Part 2. But remember, I told you last week was the tough stuff. Man, it was tough last week, wasn't it? It was some tough stuff. 
Because every time we realize weariness, now yes, there is a weariness that comes with physical exertion. Right? Working long hours. I saw some folks on Zoom. By the way, if you haven't been on Zoom on Wednesday nights, you're missing out. I mean, you're really missing out. Uh, and Zoom is not going to go away. I do want to tell you that uh, even for a while, I mean, we've we got to minimize certain things. Um, and so we'll probably be using Zoom uh, for a little while on Wednesday nights. I think it's a good platform. It helps us. And again, we want to be very mindful of things for a while. If you haven't been on Zoom, you're absolutely, you're, you're absolutely uh, missing it. Um, but uh, on Zoom, I saw some folks um, that looked we- a little bit weary. There is a weariness that comes with physical exertion. You know what helps with that? Rest and sleep, right? Rest and sleep. We're talking about that weariness that can also be physical, but it comes. It comes from a mindset uh, that is set on things other than God. It's, it's a mindset that, that, that where we get weary because we've been looking at life from the wrong perspective and we allow ourselves to get frustrated and worn down for the wrong reasons. Some of the things we talked about was getting, some of the things that could cause us to get weary is when we're actually living uh, in a state of sin, right? When we, when we are living in a way that we know is inconsistent with God's word. Uh, it doesn't mean we've turned our back on him. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm saying that you're not a Christian, but even there's times as Christians that we have just walked in a time where we just know that, you know, I just know that there's something between me and God and I'm not taking care of business because I know that I'm, I'm struggling and I'm fighting against the flesh uh, and I'm wanting my way and God says, you can want your way all you want, but you're not going to have peace and have joy until you do it my way. There's a weary that comes along uh, when you're working for the Lord and you don't keep the right perspective in it, right? So when we, when we work for the Lord, but we want credit for it or we want our way in it, right? Uh, that can make us go weary, right? When people, when we live and we say we're doing something for the Lord, but yet we actually want people to recognize that we're doing it, right? That will make us weary because when we don't get that pats on the back that we think we ought to get, we get weary from that. There are a lot of things that we get weary. One of the things that causes us to be weary is when we put the provision over the provider. That was one of the points last week, right? When, when I start worrying about the income instead of letting God take care of me. Yes, I should work hard. Yes, I should do everything that I can. Uh, and, 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 you know, God does not uh, take pleasure in a slacker. But still yet, I got to trust God and know that he will provide. And so these things are things that cause us to get weary. And, and, and the scripture last week was, you know, tell me, is, you know, it's, I'm paraphrasing, but tell me, how have I wearied you? How have I made you weary? You imagine standing before God, God says, go ahead, give your defense. Let the mountains hear you. Go ahead and say it. I mean, anytime God says that, you might as well just sit down and say, I rethought this through and I don't think it's a good idea. I think I should probably just sit here and listen to what you have to say, Lord. Because we know that we don't have a defense before him at all. But in our weariness, and we live in a time now where there's just so much going on and so many people are weary. But why are we weary? And that was the, that was the point last week. What is it that could, I gave you several things from the scripture that could call, cause weariness. And worry was one of them. Worry. The Bible says that, you know, what one of us through worry can add any cubit to our stature? What, what with us with worry can we do anything to change anything? Worry does absolutely nothing. Because worry had never changed something. Have you ever worried about something all night long only to find out the next day and never even happened? Have to worry about something? I remember worrying about having to fire somebody once. Like, uh, all night. It's going to be awful, right? It's going to be awful. 
dude quit. Woo! It don't get no better than that. I was like, thank you. <laughs> it don't get no better than that. Right, so we worry about things. We worry about things that, that, that we, so we need, to, need to give to God. And so worry will drive us down. It'll make us sick. And it'll make us weary. God was saying, how have I wearied you? And think about that question. Because the real answer is, I, he hasn't wearied us at all. Matter of fact, he's given us every reason to not be weary. And we want to talk about that, about having the, the right mindset. Remember I told you last week was the tough stuff. Last week, we asked those hard questions. This week, we want to look at truly what it is to live in the right mindset and understand what it is that God requires from us and how can I live in such a way that is fulfilling and that, and that, that, that basically eliminates weariness from my life. So Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I thank you for all the folks that, that, that are working so hard to, Lord, to be able to, to, you know, be able to broadcast these services. Uh, Lord, for the, right down from the, Lord, the, the guys who are help playing the music, the, those that are singing, leading worship. Uh, Lord, I'm just so thankful for these folks who, uh, are faithful, but God, I thank you also for the folks who be on the other side of the screen that are faithful to listen to your word, faithful to worship you. Uh, and God, I just pray, Lord, for the day that we'll all be back uh, together in here. Uh, but God, we ask you in this time, Lord, right now, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that Lord, we be encouraged through your word, Lord, to look at life, uh, Lord, biblically, uh, Lord, and in light of your love. So Father, I just pray today, Lord, that if, uh, Lord, if there are hearts out here, and Lord, that are, are burdened down and that are weary. Father, I pray today, Lord, they will be renewed through your word, Lord, and uh, Lord, and through your spirit. And we pray this today, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So Micah, as he delivers the word to um, God's people, he says that, listen, what does the Lord require of you? And so often, sometimes in our Christian walk, I mean, we do kind of sometimes get weary simply because we're trying to figure out what is the right thing. But the, a lot of times, the right thing is the hardest thing, and we already know that. But we're just struggling on it because, well, we don't want to do the hard thing. And so a lot of times, knowing the right thing is, is actually fairly easy. It's just doing the right thing that becomes difficult. And so sometimes, I, I think that we complicate uh, we complicate our Christian walk. Uh, we add a bunch of variables that really does not matter um, in all kinds of ways in our life. I mean, uh, you know, you think about, you know, we know that God's will in our lives. When we think about God's will in our life and in our marriages, right? Uh, sometimes Sal's not easy to live with, right? And so, God, I know that you say you hate divorce, but Lord, you ain't never tried to live with her, Right? Now, what am I doing? I'm complicating the real answer. I know what the real answer is. I'm to love her as Christ loved the church. It's that easy. It doesn't say love her like Christ loved the church if she's lovable. Right? It doesn't tell her to submit to her husband only if he is an honorable guy. 
Right? So we know the answer to these things, but we make it hard. We want to add in the variables. God, I want to love her like you love the church, but you don't understand how unlovable she is. We want to add these variables. So listen, but the thing is, is when we actually look at the word and, and truly understand what it means, then we'll realize that all these variables we're adding in really have no bearing on the right answer. And we add the complications and then we will, we will sit there and we will churn on top of ourselves, right? And our stomachs will be turned inside out and we'll chew on these things and, and be like, Lord, you don't understand as if he doesn't understand. He knows everything, by the way, he understands. But Lord, you know, you know when your kids, you say, but mom, you don't understand. Like, I know what it's like to go to school. I know what it's like to be picked on. I know that you don't understand. You know, they, you know, they think that somehow school was way different when we were there. Right? Our kids do that to us, don't they? You don't understand. No, I understand. I just ain't changing my mind. You know, all the other kids are doing it. Y'all heard that, right? And then your parents say, I don't care what them other kids do. I, I'm your parent. This is the way you're going to do it. I remember kids riding bicycles on the road. I want to ride my bike on the road. Nope, you're going to get run over by a car. You're not allowed to ride on the road. But other kids do it. I can't help what other kids do. But I tell you one thing. I'm not going to be a mama that's, that's going to be crying over your casket when a car runs over you. I'm telling you, you stay out of the road. I added all the variables. Then get mad and pat about it. Instead of just trusting that my mama loved me. She once told me when I said about all the other kids, she goes, I don't care about them other kids. Their mama don't love you like I love you. And I went to school and said that. My mother got calls that night. She was unhappy about that. You can't tell other kids that even though it's true. That's what she said. Even though it's true, you can't tell other kids that. My mama was cool. That's all I got to say. So Micah lays this thing down into three, three things. He said, listen. Here's the, you, you want to know what's good, what the Lord requires of you? I'm just going to boil it down to this. He says to do justice. What is to do justice? It's to do what's right. When we think of the justice system, right, we think about something being weighed out and the right answer coming out of it, right? Uh, now, listen, when we think of the justice system these days, maybe that's not exactly what we think anymore. But we know that God's justice system is absolutely perfect. You know, a lot of people say, well, how can God send a good person to hell? He doesn't. He sends sinners to hell who do not repent. It's not about good people. There's a lot of good people in the world. Right? But it's not about being good because, honestly, no one's good. We think that we're good because we do some good things. But when it boils down to it, we all have a selfish heart. And so why would a person not repent when God loved them so much to give his son for them? Pride, probably. Unbelief. You name it. But God doesn't send good people to hell. He sends sinners to hell. Sinners who did not repent. Although he gave them his only son. As a sacrifice for their sin. If they would choose him. To do justice is to do what's right. To do what's right. James says to know right and not do it. It is sin. And so it really comes down to simple that. One of the first things you've got to remember as a Christian is just to love justice. Love what is right, regardless of what you think it's going to do to you or to anyone else. Love justice. Love what is right. I believe, uh, I think Brother Kevin, uh, I think it was this Wednesday night, Brother Kevin, we were, we were talking about the humanity of Jesus and stuff. Uh, but he talked about it, you know, 
we, we think about people, you know, we, workplaces, we don't want us talking about, you know, Christ and these things in the workplaces. But listen, there's not a company out here that doesn't love a Christian if he lives truly a Christ-centered life. Why? Because people are looking for somebody with integrity. Integrity is like a missing ingredient these days, and it's very hard to find. And so I can tell you this, companies love somebody that's got integrity. They love to know that when they ask a question, they're going to get a real answer. And they're going to get the right one, the truth, regardless of what the impact is on their life. You see, a lot of times we, we complicate justice. We complicate doing what is just and what is right by other variables as well. Because we're starting to think of what the outcome could be. Because, you know, I want to be loved by God and I want him to love me. But let's face it, you know, I, I don't see God face to face right at the moment. And I see you. And when, I, when I'm not living in the right mindset of living with eternity in view, I only see you right now for a little while. I will face God and I'm going to spend somewhere in eternity. And so, but just because I can't see God face to face right at the moment, and I see all of you, I in the flesh desire you to love me as well, because I got to live with you. And so we will start to think about what is right, but then we'll start thinking about what the effect is going to be. Like, listen, I can't help it that Dodge is the best. I can't. I know that it hurts, Brother Greg. I know that it tugs at his heartstrings. I know it does. I know the pain. Brother Kevin had to work on his Chevy not too long ago. I said, I wasn't going to tell you, but I did. I can't help it. I got to do what is just and tell the truth from the rooftops. I believe Bobby pushed his truck here tonight, didn't he? Or I think he hitched a ride on a Ford somewhere over there. I don't know what he did. But we, 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 you know, we want to do what's right, but we also want people to like us. Right? And so we, we, we avoid things that are, that are controversial. Because we don't want people to, you know, we don't want people to, to, to call us names or to, to mock us or, or to, to think ill of us. And so when we get questions about things, you know, in the culture right now, we think about things like homosexuality and all these, all these hot topics that are out there. And if I tell you the truth and just as God has written it, because God is the one who defines truth and to do justice, to do what is right is to do what God says, because he is the one that defines truth. And the truth is that lifestyle is not consistent with one who loves and worships God. As God has prescribed it. But listen, it's hard to say that in the workplace. Why? Because, you know, we have some, we have some folks that live that lifestyle that work around us. And, well, I don't want to offend. Listen, we can say the right thing and say it with love. But we still have to say the right thing. I find that some people stand on the right thing from a self-righteous perspective. And we thump people with what's right. Or we have people on the other side of that fence that don't want to say what's right because they don't dare want to hurt someone. Listen, can we stand on what is right and delivered in love? Because that's what God is really requiring us to do. But we need to live to do justice. Justice is never defined by political expedience. It means to live rightly as given by God's command. This means we are to love what is right and justice. And we need to stand up when there is injustice being done regardless of what other people are going to think of us. 
And sometimes we find that a difficult thing because people I love have some strong opinions about things. And while, you know, they have strong opinions about things, I have a strong opinion about what God says in his word. And I got to stand on that. And so listen, when it comes down to whether you're offended at me or God's offended me, I need to choose God every time. I, I want to be pleasing to him and to him alone. And so if me standing on his word offends you, as long as I had delivered that message in love, Listen, then it's on you. I don't care what political affiliation you are or whatever. I mean, we've come to this world where I've got people that argue with me that, that listen, that you cannot be a Democrat and be a Christian. That is the most absolute hogwash I've ever heard. And not all Republicans are Christians, by the way. And a lot of things that that political party is doing is not according to the scripture. I don't see anywhere where building a wall is biblical because it's not. I don't care if you like him or not. It's not biblical. Neither is killing unborn children. Both sides got problems. But to take a stance to say that one is right or wrong on the other side just because they wear a blue or red shirt is absolutely... Listen, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Get so caught up in these things that we don't look at the real issue. I'm to love what is right regardless, regardless of, of who is with me or against me. I am to stand for what is right. And I need to not only stand for it, I need to love it. I need to love it. He says to do justice. Then he says to love kindness. Another synonym for kindness is mercy. Think about it, to love mercy. Y'all remember when you used to put your hands together and play mercy? Y'all remember that? You just trying to get somebody to cry out, mercy, right? By the way, I got big fat fingers and my dad has these monster paws, I call them, right? Like bear paws. My dad got the roughest hands. My dad used to scratch our back by taking the palm of his hand and doing this. Listen, you may think I'm kidding, but my dad literally every night puts this stuff on his hands, right? My dad used to go to Southern States, Southern states and buy a product called bag ball, which is for cows, for their udders so they don't get chapped when they're milking him. Right? So think about how tough that guy, leather is and all this stuff. My dad used to have to put that on his hands every night and then put, sometimes put gloves on his hands to try to keep the moisture in just so his hands wouldn't hurt as bad the next day. My, hands, my dad's hands are so rough. And so I, come on, dad, let's play mercy. I knew he was going to beat me, but I was trying to figure out how he did it. So everybody got a different tactic to mercy, don't they? Some people want to bend your fingers backwards, right? Some people want to just get your whole hand going or going sour or squeeze their, their fingers together and kind of squeeze your knuckles together. My dad had this tactic. Now I'm getting ready to give you the Huffmaster family secret to how to win mercy every time. My dad would take his hands like this, and when he said go, he would curl his fingers like that. And he, your fingers would be all caught up, looking like a, some arthritic or something, right? And it'd be all like this and twisted, and he'd be like, go. He'd, he'd go crunch. Be, ah, mercy! Right? And my mother's like, you know he does it every time. One of these days I'm going to beat him. I doubt it, son. I mean, my mother used to, used to do what she could to encourage her little boy, but that was not one that she was ever, son, you're never going to win now. And she goes, I hope that you don't grow up with hands as rough as your daddy's. I'm like, all right. But let dad come in school next day, dad come home. Come on, dad, let's pay mercy. 
boy, get on out of here. You know you're going to get hurt. Come on, Dad, I got you this time. And uh, as soon as I go, crunch, that's it. Every now and then, he hold me an extra second, though. Y'all know what I'm saying? That, you know, when you bend that knee, oh, you know, you know what I'm saying? When you go down to your knees, to, you, you just to get a little extra mercy. You know what I'm saying? Ah, come on, stop. Mercy. We think of that game, we think about letting a person go even though you got them where you want them. Right? You got a person where you want them. But mercy is letting them go. How often have we caught somebody in a transgression? Got them where we want them. Mercy is loving them enough to forgive them and let them go. We're to love mercy. Because you see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross to show me mercy. Because I'm going to tell you something. He's got me right where he wants me. Because I know that i got to fall down before him because I need a Savior. And I need mercy. You know, Romans chapter 10 says that if we'll believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we shall be saved. Listen, where does that confession come from and that belief in our heart is when I finally come face to face with knowing that I got an eternal problem. See, folks, we have an eternal problem, not a temporary life problem. We have an eternal problem. And then when I'm face to face with that problem, I realize that the only way that I will get out of spending an eternity in hell is through the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when I finally come to that place where I realize, listen, there's just no way I can work my way out of this. I can't talk my way out of it. I can't work my way out of it. Because we find in Romans, I believe it's 6.23, the wages of sin is death. the gift of eternal life is given through Lord Jesus Christ. To love mercy. You know what mercy looks like? It looks like someone who's been beat so bad that his mother wouldn't recognize him if she didn't know who he was. Hanging from a cross, fighting for every breath and still looking down at the one who's still holding the hammer in his hand that drove the nails in his hands and feet and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even realize what they're doing. But you know why I believe he said that? Because he knew that sooner or later they would realize what they had done. And he left no, no doubt whatsoever that when they finally came to their senses and realized that they had nailed God's only son to the cross, they didn't have to ask themselves whether he would forgive them or not. They knew already that that forgiveness was there as soon as they would be willing to call him Lord. That is the best picture of mercy I could ever show. And he says to walk humbly with your God. By the way, if you have to tell somebody that you're humble, you're probably not. You ever had that? I've had people, listen, I, I, I do, listen, I, I go through great strides to make sure that I walk humble, that I keep myself humble. By your very words, you have indicted yourself as not humble. I, we, 
You think I'm kidding. It seriously happens. Pastors hear these things. We can't unhear them. I'll be like, oh, what? Yeah, I, I, I. What? What? Did you just say? Walking humble is saying, you know what, God? I don't have it figured out. And by the way, walking humbly with your God, when you come back to wrestle with the first one, which is to love justice, to walk justly, to do right, and those moments where you're having a, a lapse in judgment, and you're not for sure what is right, and you're thinking that maybe you know a little bit better, walking humbly with your Lord will take you back out of that. Right? So it's kind of circular. I, I must love mercy. Why? Because God showed me mercy. I must walk justly, which is loving God's commandments and doing what is right according to his word. And walking humbly is always recognizing his way is right, even when I might find a, 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 better, you ever, a better path. You ever heard somebody, hey, let's go this way. No, let's, this is the way to go. No, go this way. We can shave off a few minutes. We can make some time. Have you ever had that? Only to get caught and end up being, you know, past somebody? Like, you, you know, you think, that, oh, I know a better way. And then you go that way, and then the other, when you get to where you're going, the other person's there waiting on you? Well, thought you knew a better way. Thought your way was faster. Would you get caught in traffic light? Well, was there a cattle crossing going on somewhere? Would you get lost? You could turn around? Did you have a flat tire? No, I just thought I knew better than you, and I was wrong. But in those moments where we think we might know better, walking humbly with God will take us back to the point where we realize we don't know better. You understand what I mean with that? Walking humbly with God is when we get in those moments where we know what the Bible says, but I'm thinking of the outcome and all the possibilities of the outcome. Instead of me trying to figure out what the right thing is, I just stand on the right thing because when I'm in those moments where I, I, I'm struggling against what is right, walking humbly with God will always remind me that he is always right. And so there is no variable that I can come upon that is going to outweigh this. There's no variable that's going to undo this. So walking humbly will help us in those moments where we're struggling against our judgment because we do know that we may lose a friend or a family member. We might hurt somebody's feelings. Walking humbly with God will always put us back in, into that place where I know, God, I know that I know this may be painful for me, but what is right is what is right, and I want to do what is right. So this is what Micah says. This is, this is how to walk with God. You want to have a walk that doesn't include a bunch of weariness and all that, that other stuff? Because, listen, even in those moments where I have to choose this over you, when I realize I'm going to spend an eternity with him, and I've only got you for a little while, it weighs out, doesn't it? And by the way, the whole time that you're upset with me, I'm going to be praying for you because the last thing I want to do is hurt your feelings. But if I do hurt him, I better hurt him in love. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. If somebody's going to hear the truth, they need to hear from truth from somebody who loves them. And so we need to love them to give them the truth and even to will. And listen, that's, that's parenting 101, isn't it? Be a parent to your child, not a friend. Love your child enough to do what's right. And stand on it even when they're yelling, I hate you, and slam the door. Then you can do what my dad says. You slam that door one more time, I'll take it off its hinges. It was funny walking past my sister's bedroom with no door on it. <laughs> it was kind of cool. I'd be like, hey, how's it in there? <laughs> my door works. Anyway, then she beat me up. That's beside the point. 
So listen. All right, Huff, you doubted down to three things. Nope. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at the words of Jesus, and we're going to take this from three things down to one. Well, you thought three things was easy? How about we take it down to one thing? You do this one thing. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 30 through 33. I'm going to get a drink of water. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 through 33 says this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Did y'all hear that? I want y'all to think about it next time you go to closet. I don't have anything to wear. Got five dresses, six skirts, eight pairs of pants, and ten blouses. I don't have anything to wear. The Lord says not to worry about that. Just pick some. Guys, I just thought I'd help you out and throw that in there. That might have been a little more huffed than it was Jesus, but I just thought I'd help you. Because when your wife says, I got nothing to wear, you know what Pastor Huff said. It's right there in the Bible. Don't be thinking about what you're going to wear. Just do it. Right? That goes back to the Nike thing. It says, verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, so here's what he's saying. Listen, don't worry about all this stuff. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So Micah says it comes down to, to, to do, doing justice, doing what's right, loving mercy, and walking humbly before your God. Jesus said it really boils down to this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now listen, that kingdom is not kingdom later. But listen, we do know and we've talked about this uh, in the last few months. That this, that kingdom is here. Jesus came and established his kingdom. It's already here. It's not about him coming later. Listen, he is going to come later. And he's going to wage war. Amen. But listen, his kingdom is already here. And it exists in the hearts of those who follow him. I'm a part of God's kingdom now. It says, so seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness what is right walking justly and all these things will be added to you because God not only is right but God is rich in mercy amen Woo! Kevin's giving me a fist pump back here Kevin mm. seeking God listen by the way this this first Right, so we think of number number one thing. We used to work for this guy named Kazer, uh, Ender Kazyat. Me, uh, me and my buddy Tim Orndorff, we worked with mechanical many years, and we worked for a guy, a builder named Ender Kazyat. And Ender Kazyat would say, oh, Huff, I need some things done. Uh, number one thing, number two thing. It, every time he called, he always, it's still a joke for me and Tim. Uh, hey, Tim, I need to tell you about two things. Number one thing, and we, we always laugh. And so we think of first as being a sequential number. It's, it's what becomes before two. But in this Greek language, I want you to know this first is, a, is a, just a little stronger than just saying, well, do this first. I mean, sometimes when you say, I got five things to do, do this one first, this one second. As long as you get them all done, is, is it really, does it matter what you, no, listen, this matters. Because this first is not just about a sequential number. It's a Greek word um, that's proton, that means first in rank influence and honor you get that first in rank influence and honor so when he says seek 
first. Listen, there is absolutely nothing else supposed to be first except for this. That's how strong this word is. It's not seek first when it's convenient. It's not seek first when everybody likes it. Seek first when your wife likes it. Seek first when your husband likes it. This is absolutely, without a doubt, no other thing should ever come between you and seeking the kingdom of God. That's what this, this is a strong first. This ain't a just first, if you can. This is a absolutely, your life depends on it first. Because see, I want to spend an eternity in heaven with God. I want to spend eternity walking on his streets of gold. And so listen, so if I want to be on his streets of gold, I must seek his kingdom while I can. And that the seeking is to be done now because one day I'll stand in judgment. And listen, all the seeking time will be over. Jesus described what it was like to seek when he talked about a woman who had ten coins and lost one. It says that she swept the entire floor, turned everything upside down. You ever lost some money when you didn't have none? You ever been out of money and you're seeking and you done, you done started to dig into car seats to see if you got some change left in there? Anybody ever done that? Man, I could just use a cup of coffee. Man, if I could just get, listen, got two dimes. Man, I come up with nine more. I can get me a large coffee at the 7-Eleven. Of course, I don't think you can get it for a dollar ten now. I don't know what it costs, but or you can go pay eighty dollars for a cup at Starbucks and pour that stuff out on dirt because that's about all it's good for, right? But as I don't know about you, but I started digging in the seats of my truck, my work truck. I ain't talking about digging in the seats of Sal's car where you can take a white glove, put it in there, and still come out white. I'm talking about my nasty, dirty work truck. Where I get in and out with mud on my feet. I'm eating McDonald's and I hit a bump. Fries go everywhere. And the ones I couldn't pick up and eat, I just left going. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You find McDonald's wrapper stuff down in there. I even find the kids' toys stuff down in there. Listen, all kind of nasty stuff in there. But listen, I was seeking so much that I was willing to dig through all of that. Why? Because listen, I had a need and the only way I was going to get it was to scrape up enough. And so I did everything I could. I had all that stuff underneath my fingernails. Listen, it was that. I found pieces of candy that were half ate and ate the other half while I drank my coffee. Listen, it was nasty down in there. But listen, seeking is about not just doing it if it's there. I'm talking about turning everything upside down, digging in that old nasty truck seat listen and not gonna give up till I find it that's the kind of seeking we're talking about ain't talking about just a hmm what if it's here no I guess it's, I guess I'll just do without we're talking about seeking to where we turn everything upside down because right now that's the only thing that matters Why is seeking first his kingdom so important? Because his kingdom is for an eternity. No other kingdom is. Because if I want to spend an eternity in his kingdom, I've got to seek it now. This is not something I can seek later. Why? Because I don't know what later looks like. I don't know what later is. You see, I've got an eternal problem. You've got an eternal problem. The problem is, is that Dr. Tony Evans said it this way. Most Christians make the life down here big. And health and wealth gospel preachers don't help none. Because we make life down here big. And have 
and small over there. When the reality in the scripture is that heaven is big and this life here is little bitty. James said it's like a vapor. Gone. I knew you guys were here one time when I showed a video by Francis Chan when he had a big long rope and he taped off the little bit of the end. He said, you see this long rope? This is, this is life. And this tape section here, that's life on earth. You see, the fact is I got an eternity problem. Why? Because listen, while my body is mortal, my soul is not. And so many people are living for today. We make decisions based on the day. I got to tell the truth and it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. So listen, instead of living for the kingdom and seeking his kingdom first, to be pleasing with God, to do what is right and what is just, I'll choose you liking me over God being pleased with me. And you see, that's where the weariness really comes in, doesn't it? The weariness comes in when we're worried about everything else and not worried about God, but we want to lay down our heads on the, down at night and we want to have peace and satisfaction that passes all understanding, joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. We want that, but we lay our heads down at night. We don't have it. Why? Because we are not seeking his kingdom and we're not going to have joy and peace when we are living contrary to God's word. That's why. Listen, Ecclesiastes says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is beautiful. Everybody stay with me. In its own way. Some people are so ugly that I can't say. I don't think that's the words of the song, but I like it. Right? He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. You ever look at somebody? The Lord said he's made everything beautiful in its time. Your time ain't yet. The dinger ain't gone off. <laughs> you need a little more time. It says, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We have an eternal problem. We have an eternal soul. And so we, listen, if we're going to have peace and joy with God in his kingdom, then we've got to live his kingdom and seek his kingdom. Micah said to seek in his kingdom looks like this, to live justly, to love mercy, and to walk humble before your God. Jesus said, listen, it all boils down to this. Just seek God's way. Seek him and his righteousness. In other words, to be pleasing to him and do things his way according to his word. And all the other stuff will come. You're worried about things that are temporary like clothes and food. Don't you know the Father already knows you need those things? Why are you worried about those things? Listen, it's time to live for him and seek his way because there'll come a time where I no longer have time. Because one day I'm going to stand in judgment. By the way, one of the things that makes us weary is when we work for the Lord without recognition, right? But when this happens, it's a clear indicator that I'm not living with an eternal view. See, this is what this is about. This is about living with an eternal view. If you want to live in a way that's not weary, then live with an eternal view. Because when I live with an eternal view, I know that this time is temporary. COVID looks like it's here to stay. But listen, one of these days, this world is going to be gone. It's going to be done. But there's going to be an eternity. And where are you going to be during that? Listen, so I can get weary if I look at COVID. But I can have joy when I realize that my time in it ain't long. That my time here is, is absolutely limited. I don't have to be here that long. 
My life is but a vapor. At the rate I'm going with this weight, I'm not going to be here near as long as you. I'm going on. You think, well, Huff, that is absolute nonsense. No, listen, I'm going to tell you something. This is something that Sal and I had to come to terms with in a very quick way because when somebody says the word cancer to you and they start talking about a, a five-year survival rate of something less than 50%, let me tell you, it'll be time to get real and talk about what eternity looks like. It'll be time to get real and say, listen, i got to realize because I've now got this, this really bright reminder that my time here is limited, and so I better get my mind on the right things and live with the right attitude because listen my time here is limited and maybe less than what I thought but I can guarantee that this soul will live in eternity somewhere and so we had to come to how can we live with joy Sal, how can we pass for church when the person I love the most on this earth has a chance that's a lot less than what I thought because I thought she would outlive me Now that we're dealing with this, I'm eating a whole lot more zebra cakes, so I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> I'll cut that part. No, I ain't cutting that part out. That wouldn't be me. But listen, when, when you live like this life is the most important thing, a thing, a word like cancer will blow your socks off. And listen, I want you to know we didn't drive away thinking, oh, goody, we get to, yes, we get to glorify Jesus. It's going to be great. We didn't. It hurt. We cried. We prayed. We cried some more. I ain't going to act like we're anything less than human. But if I was going to continue preaching, we're going to continue to lift our hands and glorify God. I've got to believe it. And by the way, you know, it was a lot easier to make a decision on what treatment to take because when we realize that eternity is in his hands, not ours. I'm part of the kingdom because I recognize him as Lord. And all I got to do is live for him and leave the rest up to him. You see, all the chemo in the world is not going to keep somebody here if it's their time to go. By the way, I can't, we can't make the wrong decision. We choose the wrong treatment. God can do miraculous things and, and beat all the odds. It's up to him. But when I have an improper view of this life, and when I take an improper view of this life by having an improper view of the scripture, you see, when I look at the scripture, I'm jumping way ahead, but I look at the scripture, I got to read the scripture in light of eternity. Because there are some passages where he talks about saving me and, and being under the wings of his pinion and all this stuff. And I want to apply that to this life here like I'm never going to have to go through a hard time or God's always going to rescue me. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I know a lot of people that have gone on before me that absolutely believe Psalms 91 with everything that they are and they were not healed in this life. Why? Because this Bible is about an eternal life. And listen, it may have taken their body here, but I can guarantee you that Psalms 91 is completed in its salvation because when they close their eyes in death here, they open them up in glory. Amen. Listen, I know Billy Piper believes Psalms 91 and he lived it. Why? Because he put his life in God's hands and says, God, I trust you and I give you this life. And when his life over here is over, I know that my salvation will be completed because salvation is not about this life here. It's about the eternal problem we have when this life is gone. Amen. 
man. I know that Billy, Billy, I know that Julia Hoffmaster, listen, I loved her so much, but listen, she had faith and she absolutely believed God. And listen, she knew that God had hit her, uh, hit her under his wings and that she absolutely loved her. Why? Because he felt, she felt his presence and said, listen, in a time where most people would have fear, I have no fear. Why? Because I know that this is not the end of the story. He promises us salvation and salvation will be when this life is gone. And we try to claim it here among the living. We try to take these verses and we start looking at them with a temporary view instead of an eternal view. And we'll get it out of context. And preachers will take these verses and use them here. And they'll use them in a way to get themselves rich and everything else. And make people think that, you know, if you don't believe this, there's something wrong with you. I want to tell you right now. God may heal my wife completely of cancer. And he may not. It's up to him. My job is to praise him. Either way, because we're not living for this life. We want to glorify him for the next life. Because whichever one of us strips, outstrips the other and goes first, I know I'll see her again. She knows she'll see me again. We're living life with eternity of you. And you know what? It's not near as sad. It's not near as discouraging or depressing. Why? Because I believe every word of this book. And when I start to read the verses in context as God has written them about my eternal soul, i got a much bigger problem than my body. I've got an eternal problem. He said in Matthew, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay yourselves treasures up in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when our hearts are set on God and pleasing Him is the number one thing, everything else can be fixed. I don't look at our problems as life-ending and life-altering problems the same way anymore. Are there days where we have rough days? Yeah. Are there days where I sometimes look at her and my heart starts to hurt a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But then I'm reminded by God. That just as Jesus arose, we'll rise too. Ecclesiastes says this, The end of the matter, all, after all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, when we get tired and weary because we're working for the Lord, it's usually because we're working for the Lord and we want somebody to see it. When I realize that, listen, he has commanded me to lay treasures up in heaven. Listen, where do I want to enjoy my treasures? Here, temporary? Or treasures where I get to enjoy them eternally? Which one do you want? It's kind of like the age-old question, would you rather push a Chevy or drive a Ford, right? Do you want to just look good? I mean, listen, them new Chevys look good. Do you just want to look good in your yard? Or do you want to look good driving around town? That's the big question, ain't it, Chris? That's the big question, right? Do you want temporary happiness? Lean it up on the hood. Voice of us good. <laughs> Don't ask me to start. Let me hear that thing. I ain't here right now. Go wait till I get my new exhaust on. It'd be good there. <laughs> be like Bobby Orr waxing her up. Wax on, wax off. You can have that temporary happiness when people ride by. I don't. Or you can be like me and Chris, arm hanging out the window. 
I get to see you when I go by twice. Go on this way, come go. You got to hope your friends go by. Amen? You hope your friends go by. I get to choose whether I go by. <laughs> oh, and listen, if I know Greg broke down, I'm going by. Ain't <laughs> hey, out there. Hang my chain out the window. You need some help? After, if I ever get rich, I'm going to buy a tow truck and put it on the back window. This is for Greg. That's what I'm going to do. So the question becomes, is your faith centered on the present? Because if, if it is, you're missing the whole picture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, inexpressible and filled with glory. Listen, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you get the picture there? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials. Are you with me? If necessary, you may go through some rough times. But that we may be filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What does Peter say the end goal is here? It's not to be rich in this life. It's not to go through this life pain-free. It's to obtain salvation for our souls. You see, when we live for this life and this life only, we will be misconstrued and we will see things in the wrong way and we will ever walk around depressed with life down around our ears. Why? Because this life has nothing to offer that could actually satisfy you. Peter says, even if we go through various trials, you see, there's a lot of people today that say, if you love God, then how can God let you go through this tough time? How can God let somebody you love get cancer? How can God let somebody you love have to live with pain and have chronic pain? How can, if God, listen, God does love you. He loves you enough to get past your, your, your complaints and your grievous spirit to love you enough to care about your soul, even if necessary. To allow you to be troubled by various things in order that you may see your need for him. Not only that, I might be grieved by various things so that you may see. So that your soul, I've got to love you enough and love God enough that even sometimes my trials may not be for my benefit. It might be for yours. And a mature Christian looks at that and says, you know what? I fully understand that. Why? Because God loves you so much and I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul and then love my neighbor as myself. So I should love you enough that I don't want you to go to hell either. And if that means that I've got to go through a difficult time to show you what faith looks like so that you know that my belief in God is absolutely real, then I need to embrace that. And give God glory for it. Because I care enough about you to go through a rough time so that you may see. One of the things that we really discussed going through this process is living in such a way that the church might see how to handle difficult times. Not that we're perfect, but that we trust God. And so that He gets the glory. That is our concern. 
Now, I, I have Psalms 91 marked here in my Bible. I want you to, I'm going to read a short passage of this Psalms 91. The first pass through, I want you to think about life as people see it down here. First pass. Then I'm going to read it again. And I want you to think about this verse and I want you to think about somebody like Paul who endured all kind of hardships and think about how he would interpret this verse. I want to look at it first in the temporary life and then second, I want us to look at it with eternity in view. Follow along with me. Psalms 91. Verse, starting at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, for no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and he will rescue him and, rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The world sees this today when they're not looking at it with an eternal lens in view. They'll see that and think that God is going to spare you. If you love God and you claim to this passage, he's going to hold you back from any harm that will ever happen to you. Listen, you'll be able to walk through hospitals, lick the doorknobs and the toilet seats, and you'll never have to worry about getting COVID. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't think I'm right, I can tell you a few preachers to go listen to. People claim to that verse, or they claim to that verse with a temporary mind, thinking that this verse is just completely about living down here. Not realizing that think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't fear those who could take the body. Fear those who could destroy the soul. Are you with me? Well, listen, I want you to think, uh, think along the lines of us walking with Paul, the great apostle Paul. Now, Paul... Paul was bit by a snake. He shook it off of the fire. Paul was shipwrecked. He was rescued, but he sure had to spend some time in the water. He was stoned and left for dead. He was whipped several times. They tried to tear him apart. They had to put him over a wall and let him down in a basket to rescue him from the angry mob. Paul was imprisoned. And lastly, Paul was beheaded for the faith. For the cause of the gospel, because he would not water it down nor would he denounce Christ. Now, I want you to think about Paul reading this verse. Does Paul get the same thing out of it? Does Paul sit in a jail cell thinking that God has somehow let him down because Psalms 91 didn't happen the way we think it happens in the health and wealth and prosperity gospel? Or does Paul look at this and take comfort to know that while there may be a time of trouble, I know that God is my Redeemer. And that he will rescue me. Rescue doesn't always mean in this life. So I want you to think about this. Now think about Paul sitting in his jail cell. Remember, Second Timothy is Paul's last letter that we know of. That he wrote to Timothy. Telling Timothy, you know, bring, bring my cloak and, and bring me the parchments. And he talks about Alexander the coppersmith that did him much harm. And, and he says, bring John uh, Mark with you because he is probable for the ministry. And Paul's been through so much and now he's sitting in a cold jail cell. And listen, a jail cell back then wasn't three hots and a cot neither, by the way. It was the nastiest of circumstances. It must have been cold because he asked for his coat. And so here, here we see him say, because you... 
have made the Lord God your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. Paul is taking his refuge. And his refuge is inside a jail cell. But God is his refuge. Why? Because he can go to his God place in meditation and in prayer. Amen. And escape the wilderness there. Because God is his refuge. Why? Because he knows that salvation is at hand. Because he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He is reading this verse in a much different way than prosperity preachers. Because he realizes that this is not about just rescue here in the temporary dwelling. But to know that I put my soul in God's hands. And he will rescue me. Amen. Well, I read this a lot different. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard times. But what it's saying is the hard times will not outdo what I am going to do for you because I have an eternity stacked up in a mansion waiting for you over in glory. Don't you let this temporary time of trouble get you down and think that somehow Satan and his minions are going to somehow overtake you because you cannot be plucked out of my hand. Oh, you can't be plucked out of my hand up and and everybody else. They can't take you. There's nobody who's going to be able to overcome you. For he will command his angels concerning you. Listen, I can do all things through Christ. Doesn't mean I can do it my way. It means in those moments where I feel like I'm going to be overtaken and my strength is depleted. If I will look to him, he will strengthen me and give me the strength that I don't have on my own. Amen. Listen, we we only through verse 10. You get in the picture here, aren't you? He will command his angels concerning me to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Think about that. What is that? Well, doesn't that show right there that God has to rescue you physically? No. No, I think about those Christians that died under the persecution of the church when they tied them to the stake and they lit the fire underneath of them? You know what I see? I see victory standing at that stake. Because you can burn this body, but you cannot take my soul out of the loving hands of an almighty God. And I've read story after story. Get it. Fox's Book of Martyrs. You get that book and you read it and see if it don't change your life. Where it talks about it and they record it right there in the history books. Where they who were tied to the stake as their flesh was burning was crying out to God. Asking them to forgive the ones who lit the fire. And asking them to be with the ones that lead those lost people to Jesus. They took a stand for what is right because the church at the time was well and wrong. And they took a stand. And it shows here that even though they may look like they're getting to you, when all is said and done, the Bible says that Jesus Christ will put them all under his feet as a footstool. That every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And one day we'll stand there at the great white throne judgment and we'll listen, we'll be singing worthy is the lamb. And maybe the ones who tried to take our lives might be on the other side. Or you know what? Maybe they gave their life to Christ and they're standing beside us. Amen. That's my prayer. Amen. That ought to be all of our prayer and our desire. Listen, just because somebody's taking this life, my poor mother was down to 82 pounds. And then some people would maybe think and look at her and say that somehow God forsook her. No, he didn't. No, he didn't because some of the last words I heard her say were in prayer. 
And I know that when she closed her eyes in death just over the hill, right over here, as we held her hand, I know that, listen, God had made her enemies her footstool because they could not take her, because her soul belonged to him. And the body that she was living in, it was a wretched little body, and it had some issues. But listen, that could not destroy her soul. And in, in death, she closed her eyes here, and she was ushered into glory. Amen. Amen. Brother Billy, I was there that night. I got the call, and I went over and listen, I'll never forget that. But I looked at his body. He was minus so many parts. And listen, diabetes tried to destroy him one piece at a time. But when I read Psalms 91, listen, you will tread over the pine and the adder. Listen, if I, if I keep eternity in view, okay, you took that one, all right, you took this one, you took the harm. But listen, you can't take this. You can't take this because God has me. Isn't he is my refuge? It's, it's in his bosom that I that listen that I just plunge myself and God listen, I need you. And he says, I'll be there. Listen, you may think that body's going to overtake you, but know this that I've got you. And listen, life is not just here. I have something much better for you, Billy, over here. Listen, it's going, it's now time to go, Billy. Come on over here. Listen, I, you come over here where you got two legs. You got everything that you need over here. I've been saving this to you, Billy. Listen, you've got victory. The grave couldn't take it from you. Why? Because I gave you victory. Because from the grave he arose on the third day. Amen. Because he arose, I will rise too. Listen, we've been, when we're down, we're living for this life. We need to live for this one. I need to start reading the scripture with eternity in view. Instead of trying to claim victory over something here that, that, you know what, I might need that trouble. I may need that physical harm right now. I may need that. Why? Because God's much more worried about my soul. You know, listen, if I didn't hurt so much, maybe I wouldn't stay as close to the cross. Say, Huff, you're, that's foolishness. No, it's not. No, it's not because Paul said, Paul prayed, Lord, take this door out of my flesh three times. He said, listen, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. I think about Paul and they must have been leading him out on the Austin road. If they would take him outside the city and that's what they would execute him. I imagine he probably had to walk in shackles most likely. They would have a wagon with a chopping block on it and and you know, and that feller who did the chopping, and you know, it must be awful to walk that path knowing what you're walking to. I'd be like, if you're gonna kill me, you're gonna give me a ride. Y'all know what I'm saying? I ain't walking to my death. Y'all gonna carry me or something. I'd have laid down if you're gonna carry this big behind. I, I ain't walking for it. But you know what church history says? Now, this is not the scripture, but church tradition and history says that they led him out on the Austin Road outside of Rome. They said, there. By the way, they'd let their family and friends walk a certain distance. They'd let them walk, and then they would get to a point where they made them stop. And I wonder, I wonder who all made it to Rome to cheer Paul on. I wonder if Peter was walking along the way. Paul, it's all right, listen. Just a few more minutes. They think they're getting victory. Paul, victory is yours. Victory's in your hand, Paul. Just a few 
few more minutes. And they say that when they took the block off, they said that Paul ran and laid his head down on the block. He says that I am ready. Why? Because listen, victory was at hand. Because victory was not about here on this earth. It was about victory, about being eternity. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. We let this life weary us. And we let it get us down. Listen, if I start living with eternity in view, I will change my whole perspective. I start living for that which I know is waiting me on the other side. I just got to make it a few more days. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So let me tell you what you need to do. You need to live with eternity in view. You need to interpret Scripture in the light of eternity. You need to live in your marriage in the light of eternity. By the way, there's a great video, Lisa and Francis Chan, called Living Marriage in Light of Eternity. You've got to see it. You need to serve the needs of others in light of eternity. I'm laying treasures up in heaven. They may not thank me for it now. But listen, I ain't doing it for their things. I want to enjoy that treasure for eternity. And you know what else you need to do? Direct your finances in the light of eternity. I heard Dr. Chip Ingram say that, you know, how many, how many people want to go to a restaurant back when you, you remember when you used to go to a restaurant? Y'all remember them days? I remember you used to be able to go and they bring food to you. Do you remember that? You could sit there and eat it and you didn't have to wash dishes or anything. But he said, you know, when, when you ask a group of people, uh, how, how many of y'all tip just uh, just 5%? Anybody tip here 5%? And they'll be like, nobody raises their hand. People look around and see if somebody does. Poor tipper. Does anybody here just tip 10%? You know, just for regular old service, not exceptional service, just regular old service. How many people tip 10%? Nobody's raising their hand. And everybody's looking around to see who does because they ain't ever going to dinner with them. How many of y'all tip 15% even if the service was bad, but you automatically going to do at least 15% regardless? Everybody raise their hand. And he said this. How come it is that you'll let society pressure you into giving 15% even for bad service? For something you're paying for. But yet only 2.7%, on average, 2.7%, of people who claim to be Christ followers actually give biblically with a minimum of 10%. Even our finances need to be done in light of eternity. Why? Because I can't take it with me. And he's promised me that if I give to him and I'll live sacrificially, he'll take care of me. And I've run a little long, but I'm going to leave you with Philippians 4. I'm not going to read it, but you know, you know Philippians 4. You know what it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. You know those verses. By the way, if you're going to claim those verses, then go live like the Christians at Philippi. Are you with me? So I gotta remember, I gotta interpret this scripture with eternity in view. And when I look at these verses, a lot of people want to apply these verses to things they want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not when you're doing something that's a gift as well. But when you go back and you look at the church of Philippi, that was fast. You see that? Cat-like reflexes. When you go back and look at the church of Philippi, you'll see that in Philippians 4, starting at verse 10, Paul talks about rejoicing greatly because you have revived your concern for me. 
because he said that they, they helped meet his needs. And when you look at the church of Philippi, they gave sacrificially to the ministry and they were spreading the gospel. And so Paul is writing to them who are living with eternity in view that you keep living this way for God and you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. Do you get the idea now? You see, we want to claim the verses based on what we want to get out of because I don't want to experience pain. That, that's not scripture. That's not scripture at all. Paul, Paul experienced a lot of pain. I thought about Stephen who was stoned. I thought about Horatio Spafford. He wrote the song, It Is Well. And he wrote it over top of the place where the ship had wrecked and he had lost three of his daughters. And it was there that he penned the words, It Is Well. How could he write it is well with my soul after losing three daughters in death in one shipwreck at one time. Not to mention, before that, he had lost his life's fortune. Precious Baffert was on hard times, but now three of his daughters, three of his children were dead. How could he pen the words, it is well with my soul? We'll go to the end of the song. Lord, haste the day where my faith shall become sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. You see, Rashford Spafford could write that song because he knew that eternity is a lot longer to spend with his children than this life. I need a parent with eternity in view and raise my children in such a way that they realize the most important thing is heaven and not what they got going today. Living life with eternity in view. Are we willing to do it? Because if we'll live with eternity in view, life will be much different and the weariness will be a lot less and the joy will be unspeakable and full of glory. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we know that, that you absolutely love us. You gave your son for us. Lord, so often we forget that we have an eternal problem and we get, Lord, we get discouraged and we get down because of things going on in this life. But Lord, we know. Lord, we know that this is not the end of the story. That when I see you for who you are and I see life for what it is and I realize, Lord, you've called me to seek your kingdom that you will take care of me. If I just seek you, all those other things will be taken care of. Lord, I know that my worry and anxiety, Lord, they have no place in the life of a believer if I truly trust you and believe your word. So God, we pray tonight, Lord, for someone maybe who's struggling with belief. Maybe they can't see eternity, Lord, just for the simple fact that life today has got them so consumed. God, I pray that maybe, Lord, today that these words will help them and they'll start looking at life and realize that life down here is short. It is just for a season. But you have a beautiful place for us where we will spend eternity in your presence. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we may keep that in the forefront of our mind. And that we will trust you 100%. That we'll live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before you. Father, we pray these things, Lord, today. In the name of your son, Jesus. Love you, babe. Love you. Get there.